Uh, I, I think, Matt, that Christ's intercession has gotten short shrift, not only from preachers on the pulpit, but also from writers. And consequently, in the experience of the individual believer, I've met few of God's children who really treasure this doctrine the way, the way they should. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Joel Beakey. Joel serves as president and professor of systematic theology and homiletics at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. He's also the pastor of the Heritage Reformed Congregation in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and has written many books, including the first two volumes in his four-volume Reformed Systematic Theology series, co-authored with Paul Smalley. Today, Joel and I discuss the doctrine of Christ's ongoing intercession in heaven. He explains what that doctrine is all about, where we find it in the Bible, and why it's more important and spiritually edifying than you probably realize. Let's get started. Well, Joel, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. Glad to be with you, Matt. So you're a seminary president who also happens to teach, and you're also a pastor and the editorial director of Reformation Heritage Books, and then you're the vice president of a translation society, and on top of all that, as if that's not enough to fill one person's time, uh, I've read that you've written or co-authored over a hundred books. Is that true? Uh, unfortunately, that's true. I've probably written too much. <laughs> I feel closest to God when I write, Matt. So, well, that's what I was going to ask you: is you know, what's behind that prolific output? It, obviously, it must be something that you love to do. Yeah, I love God's truth. I'm kind of a, a weirdo, I guess. I I, I could study from <laughs> eight in the morning to midnight and mm. just just love every minute of it. And I just love just love working with biblical truth. But I also, when I write. I feel uh, closest to God, and even if I wouldn't be published, I, I, I would I would write. I've, I've been writing since I was a teenager. So um, when God converted me and called me to ministry when I was 15 years old, I actually felt a call to to be a writer at the same time. Uh, just a powerful, hmm. yeah, it's hard to explain, but a compelling call. Not only woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel, but also woe unto me. I don't write the gospel. Mm, yeah. So let's um, let's shift gears then and, and talk about well, one of these doctrines that you you really spend a lot of time on in your newest book. Um, when we often talk about the gospel, we tend to emphasize Christ's atoning work, his uh, his atoning death for sinners, and sometimes we even maybe neglect the resurrection. I know that's been a critique that that many have had of you know modern evangelicalism. But even if we do highlight the, the resurrection, in my experience, evangelical Christians often will pretty much stop there. Christ died for our sins. He was raised for our justification. And then that's kind of the end of the story when it comes to his work for us. But there is more to the story, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, I, I think, Matt, that Christ's intercession has gotten short shrift, not only from preachers on the pulpit, but also from writers and consequently, in the experience of the individual believer, 
I've met few of God's children who really treasure this doctrine the way the way they should. Hmm. So if you had to boil it down, uh, you've mentioned the doctrine already, Christ's intercession. If you had to boil it down into simple language for a new Christian, how would you explain what that is actually all about? Well, I would put it this way. Jesus died for you that you would be saved, but now he's in heaven interceding for you, praying for you moment by moment that you stay saved. And without his intercessions, you can't keep what he's given you because you'd send it away again. So the intercession of Christ is absolutely, absolutely critical that from moment to moment, as Hebrews 7.25 says, He's ever living to make intercession for you. So if you think about that, Matt, think of it like a, like a clock ticking. You know, tick, tick. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. So he has the infinite capacity. And this is what most people don't realize because they think of Jesus as a mere man. To pray for all of his people corporately at once, all the millions, but at the same time to pray for each one individually, and that's mm. beyond our comprehension. Yeah. But Romans 8.34, uh, if he intercedes for us, who can be against us, uh, validates that as well as Hebrews 7.25. So I think when you combine the various texts in the Bible about the intercession of Jesus, and you really begin to realize that every single moment he's praying for you and his prayers are always effectual. You see, the preservation of your salvation is interwoven, is dovetails with Christ's intercession for us. Mm. So would you say that's that's the core of it? Is it's the idea that Jesus is praying for us at all times? I would say that's the core of it. Combined, combined with it, however, is this whole idea of advocateship that Paul speaks of. Uh, he's heaven's lawyer. Uh, he he pleads our case. And so connected with intercession is advocateship. And I, I like to look at advocateship this way, that we have we have two advocates in as a Christian. We have one in heaven named Jesus who's pleading our case, and we have one on earth who's in our heart, the Holy Spirit, who's our internal advocate, uh, by which we groan with groanings that are unutterable, Paul says in Romans 8, back to God, our mm. petitions and our, our cries. Uh, so advocateship is something that is when we're really in desperate need or when we're really burdened or afflicted. John Bunyan put it this way, Christ as intercessor is what he's doing all the time for us. Uh, he's sitting on his father's right hand and interceding for us, when he exercises his advocateship, Bunyan says, it's as if he stands up and pleads our case and, and helps us in times of tremendous need. Mm -hmm. So how help, help us understand a little bit more uh, why this is so crucial. I think oftentimes the way that we think about salvation and Christ's work for us, and, and honestly the way it's often taught and preached, is there's such an emphasis on Christ's once-for-all effective death and resurrection. You know, he did something in history, and that was efficacious. That, that did it. That sealed the deal. And so I think sometimes hearing someone speak like you are about the need for Christ to continually uh, represent us before the Father, 
it feels like it might be suggesting that maybe Christ's work on the cross and history somehow wasn't enough to save us forever. So help us understand uh, that dynamic. Yeah, that's a very good question. I think part of the problem is that we've neglected stressing the the inward life of sanctification sufficiently. We've, we've gotten down pat, as it were, uh, the doctrine of justification, which is great. I mean, that's without the Protestant doctrine of justification, there's really no, no sure salvation. But uh, I'll compare it this way. Uh, the day you married your wife, you signed the papers. You are now legally in a state of marriage. But that doesn't mean that from then on, you can say, oh, well, my dear wife, uh, I'm married to you. You can't change that now. I can't change that. So I can just live whatever way I want to live. <laughs> right. No, you, you, you've got to work out that marriage day by day with all of its ups and downs, all of its challenges, all of its uh, understandings and misunderstandings. And you've got to grow in that relationship. Well, so it is in our relationship with Jesus. It's one thing to become a Christian. That's another thing to remain a Christian and keep growing as a Christian. Hmm. And that's critical. And so Christ's intercession from heaven and his uh, groaning work of the Spirit, the accompanying groaning work of the Spirit in our soul, this is the experiential reality of the Christian life in growing in sanctification. And so when I preach about the intercession of Christ, Matt, what I like to say is this. This is a doctrine that resonates with the deepest inward experience of a believer. And if you give me just a couple minutes to develop this, what I think it's important. Uh, so I can stand on the pulpit and say, you know, friends, this doctrine of intercession is very important because it means that Jesus is praying for us all the time, and that's a wonderful thing, and our salvation is secure in him. He will keep us. And that, that'd be great. Nothing wrong with that. And that's true. But that's very different from saying something like this. My, my dear friend, if you're a believer, you know what it's like to really come into spiritual distress and sometimes perhaps be so overwhelmed with affliction, that internal affliction or external affliction, that perhaps you think, I can't even pray anymore. You come to your wit's end, the wit's end of your own prayers. But if you realize at that moment that Jesus is still praying for you, and you just cry out to him, oh, Lord, please intercede for me as I, I, I can't seem to do it. I, but I know your prayers are always effectual. And you cast yourself upon the intercession of Christ. And you remember he's always living to intercede for you. And he will help you even when the water seems to come up to your lips or over your head. You will not drown. You will not be burned in the fire. You will come forth without your your hair even being singed, because he ever lives to make intercession for you. Praise be to God for this wonderful keeping grace of Jesus from the right hand of the Father. You see, that's mm. that resonates with the yeah. experiential struggles of the believer. My dad used to say to me, you know what the difference, I was nine years old when he first said this to me, you know what the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is? And I said, well, I, I always said no because I always got the wrong, wrong answer. <laughs> you know there's something coming. Yeah. So he said, well, a believer always has a place to go to a Savior 
who is always remembering him. And, you know, that is so incredibly comfort comforting for a believer. And this is how I grow in sanctification, not by relying on my own efforts, but knowing that Jesus is remembering me. And out of gratitude, I then want to respond to him. I want to, to live to his glory. And I don't want to injure in any way by my abominable sin, uh, this glorious Savior who not only died for me, but who is now living for me. Mm. And so if he died for me and he lives for me, why can't I at least live for him and die to sin? Mm. Do, do you ever think that um, maybe the imbalance is when people uh, not so much overemphasize one thing, but underemphasize all the other things? Yeah. So uh, there's a really robust Old Testament background to the idea that Christ continues to intercede for his people as our priest, and that I wonder if you could elaborate on a little bit. I, I think there are typological elements in, in, the, in the Old Testament that are pointing to Christ's intercession. Then there's some more direct elements. I mean, certainly Moses, the way he interceded for Israel at times when God seemed to indicate, I'm ready to destroy this people. You know, this one, this one verse, I don't have it right off the exact quotation of the, of the, or the verse number, but um, in Numbers, I think it's 11 or 12 in there, what God says to Moses is, I'm going to divorce myself from the people of Israel, and I will just keep you, Moses, and I'll, I'll make you a great nation. Hmm. <laughs> well, you know, it's rather tempting for the corrupt human heart. But Moses says, oh, no, Lord. I, this is your people, and your name is connected with this people. Have mercy upon them. And uh, Moses actually comes to the point where he'd rather be blotted out than have the, 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 the nation blotted out. Mm. So he's this real love for the people of God. Well, all of that, you see, he's a type of, of Jesus, where Jesus uh, pleads with his father based on his own merits. Uh, don't, don't deliver this sinner from going down into the pit, for I, I, I am his ransom. And then, of course, you have the whole Aaronic priesthood, uh, which is pointing to uh, Jesus' priesthood and priesthood of Melchizedek. You've got the golden altar of incense, uh, which symbolizes prayer. You know, the whole system of the priesthood, the, the brazen altar representing justification, and then coming in and uh, offering up a prayer, the second major work of a priest by the golden altar, sprinkling it with incense and the cloud going up. is It's all a symbol of Christ's intercession. And uh, the concept of the angel of the Lord uh, interceding for the people of God in the Old Testament, the angel of the covenant points to Jesus as well. And, um, and then, of course, spilling over just into the beginning of the New Testament, you have examples of Jesus praying for others in, while he's still in the state of humiliation, I think of Peter's, his prayer for Peter, you know, Simon wants to have you, but I prayed for you, mm. that your faith fail not. Yeah. He's, that's a, that's a, a presaging of the intercessory work of Christ, Christ to come. So why, if, if this doctrine is so present throughout both the Old and New Testaments, and uh, in church history, you've mentioned the Puritans, that they uh, spoke about this often, the Reformers uh, spoke about this often and didn't disconnect it from the doctrine of justification. Uh, and if it's such an encouraging and 
um, spiritually edifying doctrine to meditate on. I guess if I can ask you to put on your historian hat a little bit, why do you think it is that the evangelical church today has often so neglected it? Yeah, I, I would say that even, even back to the Reformation, I don't think that the Reformed Church even gave it as much attention as it deserves. Hmm. And maybe one reason, Matt, is this, that Reformers are coming out of the whole Roman Catholic system, and you've got so much talk about the intercession of Mary, the intercession of the saints, and so on, and and um, how man contributes to his own salvation. So the Reformers are really laser-beamed on getting right the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The Puritans did more than the Reformers in developing the doctrine of sanctification. Not that they brought new things, but just emphasized it more. And they yeah. emphasized intercession um, a bit more. The one, one notable example of that, by the way, is Anthony Burgess. It was one of my favorite Puritans. He wrote 145 sermons, 1,200 pages on John 17. Wow. Which is, of course, Christ's high priestly prayer, where he talks so much about intercession. And by the way, uh, we have just edited that. We've retyped it all from the original, transcribed it, gone through a whole bunch of editing stages. I had the privilege of being the last editor. And we've got it at the printer right now, a two-volume mm. work. Wow. And it will be coming out in about uh, three weeks. But uh, anyway, uh, Burgess's magisterial work on Christ's intercession is, is even among the Puritans, however, a fairly notable exception. Hmm. And so I tell my students in my, in my Reformation church history class that from the Reformation, even till today, I think the most neglected doctrine in the Reformed faith is the intercession of Christ. Wow. So I, I preach on it quite a bit, uh, one way or another, bringing it into sermons. And I think one reason I do is because I, I feel the poverty of my own prayers. And I, I, I need someone who prays a whole lot better for me than I pray for myself to be interceding for me. And that person is Jesus. And I just get so much out of the intercession of Christ experientially for my own soul that I think... Um, I'm on a kind of crusade to, to try to get God's people to see more in this doctrine. Hmm. Because the more you see in it, I think the, the happier you are as a Christian, and the more secure you are as a Christian, and the more profound appreciation you have for Jesus in his state of exaltation, and not just in his state of humiliation. And, and that, that, to me, that's, that's a, huge, a huge transition in the spiritual life of a believer, to really come to treasure him in the state of exaltation. Now, what, what, one Puritan, Thomas Goodwin, I need to mention him, he, he did something fantastic. He wrote a little book, basically titled something like this, Christ's Beautiful Heart in Heaven Toward His Saints on Earth. And what he's saying in that book is that because of the intercession of Christ and because of his ministry at the Father's right hand, we actually have Christ even better today than the disciples and apostles had when he was walking on the earth. Hmm. 
And he argues that from a couple of ways. He argues that, first of all, when he's on earth, Christ can only be one place at a time in his human nature. Uh, but now in heaven, you see, through his spirit poured out in us, he's, he's, he's everywhere present. His spirit poured out in, in his fullness. And so he says we have more access to Christ when he's in heaven than, than the apostles even had with him on earth. And in addition to all of that, you see, from heaven, he no longer has his own uh, pains and infirmities that he struggled with on earth, although he did it sinlessly, it's still a struggle for him. Now he's so full in his resurrection power and his exaltation that the least whisper, Goodwin says, the least whisper of the smallest cry of one of his children, he has his ear tuned at his father's right hand to hear him and to bring his worthless name and whisper it in the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And he just paints this picture of Christ just, just at the right hand of the Father, just ministering to his church by his spirit, and of course by the preached word, the servants he sends out, and this ministry of Christ in heaven, which is focused on his intercession, is richer than anything the church has ever known. Mm. So that's, I think, what, what needs to be developed more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you feel like you uh, personally, as you think about your own experience of God and of Jesus and your own meditation on his intercessory, interse- intercessory work, uh, do you feel that that is better than him being here? I think sometimes we've probably all heard something like that, that, you know, actually, uh, Jesus said, I'm sending uh, a counselor to be with you, and that's better that I leave so I can send him. I think we've all probably experienced a little bit of the, yeah, but I would really love if you could actually be here with <laughs> of me. Of course, of course. We're, we're human. We're human. It's the fleshly side of us, too, that wants to be in his mm. presence um, in, in a physical way. And I, I like all believers, I, I, long, I, I long for the day when I can see him face to face, no more through a glass darkly, of course. And I think that, that's okay. But I think Jesus, you're onto something, Matt, when you talk about Jesus himself saying to us, it's better for, better for you that I, that I go away. And uh, he knows our strengths and weaknesses, and he knows that some of his people need, need that instruction more to be weaned away from the fleshly more. That's what Mary needed. Touch me not. I go to my... But the other women, he allowed them to hold his feet. So he, he's, he carves out for our particular needs, our strengths and weaknesses, yeah. his own instructions for us. But I think overall, you can certainly say, yes, of course, I'd love to be with Jesus physically, but I've got his word, the whole 66 books of the Bible, the library of the Holy Ghost, as the Puritans called it, and I've got him at the right hand of the Father. Here I live by faith, there I will live by faith and by sight. And uh, often we hear today in Reformed circles, well, you won't need faith in heaven because there you'll have sight. To me, that's a bunch of nonsense because the heart of faith is trust. Yeah. And I will trust him. But I won't need that one aspect of faith, trusting him while I cannot see him. That's mm. true. Yeah. But both will be reality. So I will have Christ even in a fuller way because I will be um, living physically in his presence, but I will have also the element of faith and love and hope as I have here on earth. But now, no more through a glass darkly. 
Mm, yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about common misconceptions about this doctrine, uh, a doctrine that we've already established is maybe a little bit foreign to to many of us. Um, one that comes to mind immediately is that this doctrine can sometimes be spoken of in a way that makes it seem like uh, God the Son, Jesus, has to continually convince God the Father to forgive us or to not that that um, pour out his wrath on us. He's kind of constantly holding the Father back. Uh, what would you say to that? Yeah, that's, that's a serious misconception because the Father is willing to give his Son as the Son is willing to give himself, as the Spirit is willing to work in the hearts of all those whom the Father has given to the Son. So I like to put it this way, the triune willingness is co-equal and co-eternal like everything else in the Godhead. And don't forget that it was preeminently ascribed in Scripture to the Father, the plan of eternal redemption, to so love sinners that he would give his only begotten Son. So if you're a father, you know that when your child is in great pain, sometimes you feel that even deeper in some ways than than, than the child does. And... and um, I, to, to make the father somehow more unwilling or need to be persuaded is just so, so unbiblical. Mm. So what are some other misconceptions that you've encountered when it comes to this doctrine? I think the main misconception is that we just simply fail to realize the perfections of this. So we think somehow we need to have perfect prayers or we need to have perfect sanctification. Obviously, we strive for perfection. But the beautiful side of this is that Jesus is perfect not only in meriting our justification and perfect in his character, but he's also perfect in this glorious holiness. The intercession of Christ is a holy intercession. It's a perpetual intercession. It's an authoritative intercession. It's a loyal intercession. It's a legal intercession. It's a, it's, a, it's a personal intercession. It's a particular intercession. It's a complete intercession. It's a compassionate intercession. And it's all of that perfectly. Hmm. And I think the biggest misconception is uh, not to see, the, not to grasp the, the fulsomeness of it all. As complete as we see Je Jesus' justification through his death being, and as complete as we see his resurrection, guaranteeing our resurrection and our blessed resurrection, so complete we ought to see his intercession that he will keep us and bring us into the Father's presence and will not rest until he can say, here am I, Father, and all those whom thou hast given me. And there won't be one empty chair in heaven, as one mm -hmm. of the Puritans put it. His work will be complete. His intercession will be totally victorious. So praise God for the intercession of Jesus. Yeah, what a beautiful picture that is. Maybe as a, a final question, I wanted to read this remarkable quote that you include in your book and then uh, ask a question. So Robert Murray McShane, he lived in the early 1800s. Uh, he had this amazing line. He wrote, I ought to study Christ as an intercessor if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. 
Yet the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. And I just found that remarkable, that picture of wherever we're all sitting right now, uh, Christ is literally in the next room praying for us and and that he is in a very real sense. Uh, And so I guess as a final question, can you just share personally about the difference that this doctrine has made in your life? You've shared that you are, it's your ambition to uh, to kind of yeah. uh, teach this as widely as you can, but how has this impacted your life? <sighs> oh, <laughs> you're gonna make me cry now. <laughs> uh, yeah, just just in a me- mega way, a mega way. So I won't go into details here, but I've been through some pretty heavy trials in my life, and uh, also in the Christian church. And without the intercession of Christ, Matt, I I don't know where I'd be today. So that that reality that McShane is talking about has become very real for me. I mean, it's not every day that this is, re- I wish it were more real, but there there have been times in my life and more than a few where I've been just crawling on the ground. I used to have a, my old, 30 some years ago my in my second church, I had a uh, shag carpet. You remember those old shag carpets? <laughs> I'd be pulling at those shag carpets and just crying oh. out to God for mercy. And um, just desperate for his help. But in those times, I've experienced that Jesus, I could fully believe he's praying for me. And when, my, when I came to my wit's end and could barely say the word Lord, it couldn't even form any content, mm. uh, coherent content to my prayers. We just cried out, Lord, 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 uh, that he was taking the intent of my heart and turning those into um, comprehensible prayers in the ears of the Lord, his Father. And, uh, yeah, I felt strengthened at such times that, you know, Samuel Rutherford put it this way, better let thy prayers be without words than thy words without heart. I wish I knew more of that too, but I do know something of that, that those groanings within that the Spirit indicts, and sometimes Yes, they come out in words. Sometimes they just come out in sighs and groans. But behind it all stands our precious Redeemer interceding for us. Uh, it's like it's like Bunyan put in the uh, Pilgrim's Progress. You know, there's a beautiful picture where um, Satan is trying to put out uh, the fires of grace in, 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 in the Pilgrim. But uh, there's Christ standing on the other side of the wall, pouring mm-hmm. oil onto the fire. And keeping it all alive, you know, Matt. If it if it weren't for the intercessions of Christ, I, I would have given up several times in my life. I would have left the ministry. I would have, I would have. I think I would have abandoned everything. But knowing He's praying for me, knowing He's pouring that oil on there, knowing He's keeping alive the flames of hope and faith and love, that He's keeping me in the palms of His hands, so that He'll never let me go and that he's there at the right hand of the Father, always, always, always preserving, interceding for me. This is my life. It's my life. Hmm. Well, Joel, thank you so much for, I think, helping all of us to uh, perhaps see this doctrine a little bit more clearly than we once did, uh, that we might cherish it more deeply. We appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. God bless you, Matt. That was Joel Beakey on Christ's ongoing work of intercession for his people. 
For more, be sure to check out Volume 2 in his Reformed Systematic Theology series, which he co-authored with Paul Smalley, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to The Crossway Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, would you leave us a review? That helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.